delicious. Cool. I'm just gonna I'm just gonna be a piece of useless shit today. I can't I can't help it. I'm sorry. That's all right. I'll take over. So this time Kyle's driving the bus. The, the Big Bang Theory Theory bus, which is also the name of this show. What do we do on the Big Bang Theory Theory bus, Kyle? We talk about the show The Big Bang Theory, where I talk about it because I am Kyle and you are. I'm Nick. All right, and this is the Big Bang Theory Theory. Same name as the bus. Oh my god! This is I'm so doing. Funny. I'm doing such a good job. <laughs> my brain is melting. Oh Jesus Christ! <laughs> Gonna be a long edit on this one. No, oh, well, we'll we'll keep this episode down to ten minutes, so <laughs> people don't get. Can you handle doing the summary, or would you like me to take over the? If summary? If you want to do the summary this week, that would be radical. <laughs> okay. So this week on The Big Bang Theory, Episode 3, Season 12. So while I'm summarizing, you can look up the name of the episode. Sure, sure. Um, Howard and Leonard are excited to go on their first double date with... Actually, it's not their first double date now that I think about it's it. It's a double date. On a double date with uh, Penny and Bernadette. Yeah. They're conspicuously more attractive than them girlfriends. And... Oh, by the way, the name of this episode is The Psychic Vortex. Oh, you know what? I like that one. Thematic. It works. It, it works better than 90% of their titles. Because while they're in the car driving to the restaurant, Penny admits that she has recently consulted a psychic about her acting career and received advice to cut her hair. And Leonard, despite having immediately before this promise that he would not make fun of her for whatever she was about to say, lapses into a pretty believable like his contempt for psychics feels palpable and real he just he really just like unloads on her like zero to 60 about how stupid anyone who would go to a psychic is i mean just this is the snarkiest i think i've ever seen leonard be towards anyone who is not sheldon oh my goodness i i feel so bad because you're describing leonard so negatively and at the same time i look at leonard and i'm like i get it dude I, oh we've all been there we'll get there but we've all been there right but anyway, so so after making an ass, that's basically he makes an ass out of himself with his pure disdain for his girlfriend's beliefs and just ruthlessly mocking her for it their entire date, which causes it to go rather badly. Meanwhile, Raj and Sheldon are forced to hang out and have their first night hanging out together. Really, Sheldon would be happy if Raj left, but Raj is desperate for them to go out and do something. And so they end up at a... Like a faculty, a faculty grad mixer. Mixer. Oh, that I started to say. Why would they need a mixer? I would assume all the faculty would know each other. No, you need an environment so that people actually that work for the university can prey upon their underlings. <laughs> yes, so that makes sense. So while they're there, they actually miraculously, in a in a fr- frankly sort of a thermodynamic miracle, they end up meeting two women. One of whom thinks Raj is attractive, and the other one thinks that. Uh, Sheldon, who has been bribed to go to this mixer with by being presented a model of a Green Lantern, not the ring or the figure, an actual Green Lantern, which is what the character Green Lantern uses to recharge his power ring. Um, so he's carrying a light-up Green Lantern, which one of these grad students um, immediately recognizes, which, if it were me, I would have married that woman on the spot. But... Because he is Sheldon, he is incapable of feeling any kind of attraction or appreciation beyond some distant, you know, um, sort of acknowledgement of the fact that they have some commonality. But they do all end up hanging out together and going back to 
Leonard's apartment? Yes. yes. And playing either Guitar Hero, uh, one of the ones, or, or a rock, a rock band. band. Um, and so then, yeah, what else happens? That's basically the whole episode. So then, eventually, uh, Howard uh, sagaciously convinces Leonard that he is a fool because he will never find another woman as good as Penny, so he might as well just put up with the fact that she believes in psychics, and he agrees that this makes sense. And reconciles with her. And meanwhile, the girls come back again uh, for another date uh, at Leonard's apartment, which leads to Raj hooking up with his uh, with his uh, date. Date, yeah, I guess <laughs> that's the, the right word. Outs. And the other person is completely ready to bone Sheldon, but he just ha- he's having none of it. He completely leaves her. You know, it not even. I mean, incredibly awkwardly. Just it's not even that he's being rude. He just does not understand. What he is being offered and is not interested in it if he did understand it. So he basically leaves, leading to my the biggest laugh. Anyway, so that's the episode. My biggest laugh was right at the very end. What do you do you mind? Uh actually all I, I I can do this so I can feel like I'm contributing something this episode in between in between my my bleary eyed yawns. Uh and so the the first thing that happens that made me start to relate to Sheldon is uh He's on the couch with this other woman that's super into him, loves all of his nerdiness, and he's wearing these giant Hulk hands, signed by Stan Lee. Which, because uh, he's been bribed. Yes, that Raj, was his bribe for the second date. Yes, Raj bribed him with these. Sheldon had no interest in a second date, and Raj was like, if they give you my giant Hulk hands, will you just hang out with us at least? And so he does. Uh, and, and Sheldon very innocently says, so, time for bed. The girl starts clapping her hands and is like, oh, yay, sure. Uh, at which point Sheldon puts his... Big gloves together and says, Good night, beauty human, and walks off. And I was like, Okay, that's a real boner move. That's something that I might do. Um, and then Sheldon gets into his pajamas and is in bed. And that same woman comes and knocks on his door and approaches. And she's like, Hey, uh, so Sheldon, not Sheldon, but uh, Raj and his date are kind of all over each other and it's weird. So can I just like come and hang out with you in your bedroom for a second? Uh, and so he lets her in. She sits on his bed. The stupid fucking audience reaction is all like, ooh. And then Sheldon turns to her and says, all right, I'll just sleep in Leonard's room. Ha 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 ha. End of episode. And that's where I was like, Jesus Christ, I am Sheldon. I, cause. <laughs> the, the speed at which Nick went, oh, that's a Nick Hyde classic. Which just was so. It's like, and if you know anything about my friend, you can see it. You can see him doing it. The, the number of times that my politeness and insecurity has completely trumped any sort of, like, horny energy in the air is innumerable. And it was just frustrating and awful seeing this. Um, but at the same time, there's a certain warmth uh, in my heart for a time where I was more innocent and pure and women still maybe thought I was cute every now and then. That yes. time is so long gone. <laughs> it's probably, I mean, you just don't get out enough. You're still tall and and apparently I've been... Doing some research on Facebook on your ex girlfriends and the one thing. What the fuck? Hold on! Whoa! Whoa! Big, big reveal! Knit show! What the fuck are you talking about? I'm kidding. But. Oh, we do have one. one. Genuinely shocked, Kyle. Yeah. Sorry. What What I should have said was. One of his ex-girlfriends is a mutual friend of ours, and she's constantly posting on Facebook about about her uh, her absolute love of tall guys with sad eyes. And I was like, well, that's sort of Nick Hyde in a nutshell. 
Yeah, I'm tall and I'm sad. I fit both criteria. <laughs> Sorry, I didn't mean to panic you. I wish I could have kept the bit going a little longer so that we could have made you really uncomfortable, but no, just to clarify. It wasn't panic so much for my own sake as it was for the women I used to know that you were stalking. And I was wondering where that could possibly go. So Yes, I've been I've been slowly collecting their heads in a refrigerator. Oh now now it's gone too extreme. Also, just looking uh, down, so we we looked up the uh, the episode title for this, and it also looks like it was one of the highly rated episodes of the season. Ooh, that could just be because it was uh, actually, beginning of the year. Yeah, I have no idea. Yeah, there are all sorts of different reasons this one could have been seen more than others. I'm not going to bother getting into it now, but it does it, make me it does make me wonder though. Yeah, you know, January eleventh, maybe there was just nothing else on. Yeah, January eleventh, twenty ten, too. I mean. We still weren't totally over 9-11. Any date with an 11 kind of made us sad and want to curl up on the couch and just watch whatever was on. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, all right. So I'm over I'm over that wowie-zowie moment and ready to move on. But I don't know. So I've got <sighs> Leonard's trial with trying to uh, entertain or humor Penny's psychic beliefs are something that was also kind of near and dear to my heart and my, my past experience, but but I don't want to get into that too deep because I don't know if there's really anything interesting about myself in there. And so I want to know if, Kyle, do you have anything that was stuck in your craw this episode? I do think it's a... Uh, well, I will say, um, not that anyone would ever go out with me ever, but... Oh, Kyle. What, uh, let me drown in self-pity. I don't, I, I'm allowed to, but... Anyway, so when I am scrolling through the the dating profiles of women who are way out of my league, I will still very uh ass in in the most assholish manner possible when they when I see any mention of, you know, psychic beliefs or beliefs in astrology or whatever, I'm like, "No, obviously we're incompatible." So, yes. I am a I'm a judgmental prick about this myself. I would like not to be I wish I could, but I do have like friends, like especially like a lot of a lot of like friends from law school who are big into astrology, and I think I think just for funzos, I don't think they're making serious life decisions based off of it. So I will say, the closest I I mean, and I I guess to many people this counts as being completely sold, but uh, mostly because if you're a fan of. Uh, a lot of comic books like I am, then you're probably a fan of Alan Moore. And Alan Moore is super into magic. Um, and he, uh, like, um, all but sort of weird, like, symbolic, like, magic. Like, Aleister Crowley, tarot card symbology, numerology shit that's, uh, that's pretty intense. And so when I was on a really big Alan Moore bender, I spent a lot of time studying tarot cards for their symbolism and just appreciating, like, the layouts. Um... You know, the layouts of the tarot cards and the mm-hmm. different ways that they could be arranged. And I never thought they could predict the future, but I did sort of I did sort of get into like, well, it is kind of cool, all the different, the way that the nine corresponds thematically across the deck, no matter which suit you're in or, and stuff like that, you know, and the way they also, you know, depending, if you squint, they sort of also correspond to the spheres of the Sephiroth, which is a whole Kabbalah thing that I'm not going to get into, mm-hmm, so... Mm-hmm. So I was in the sort of like that grand master sort of like um, symbolic system, even though I never thought it had any like real significance on the material plane. I, uh, in early high school, I think went through a 
a very lackadaisical but nonetheless earnest magic with a K kind of phase. Oh, yeah. There you go. Where uh, did you do any stuff with blood? I'm I'm not at liberty to say. No, I didn't do anything with blood. But there was like a lot of you know special minerals and crystals and things that I imbued meaning into at the time and. I had my tarot cards, which also I don't think I was using them to predict the future, but I was like, hey, you know, I guess if you do know what the deck is, you could probably intuitively figure something out based on the cards you draw, which is like reading tea leaves or whatever. It's yeah, I mean, nonsense. I think, well, it's, it's basically, it's like a, so here's the thing about tarot cards, right? Um, well, actually, here's the thing about therapy that I recently learned, <laughs> which is, which is that, which is that every, I was reading a breakdown of all the different, uh, therapy systems and they were like look this guy who's pretty smart and is also a therapist was like look i wish i could tell you that because one system of therapy is more rooted in like modern rational scientific principles than say freudism freud freudianism that it has a better success rate that corresponds with it but the fact is as far as we can tell from every study all therapies have basically the same success rate as all other therapies Meaning, it's not really about whether you go to a Freudian or a Jungian or a cognitive behavioral therapist. It's just about how committed you are to the process and the connection you have with your therapist and how willing the, like how well the two of you vibe and how well you're willing to work with each other. He's like, and I hate that. <laughs> that is the exact opposite of how a ther- of like how a systematic study of human psyche and the medicine of making human beings mentally better should work. But it's just not. That's just where we are because we're still incredibly fucking bad at designing therapy that works, you know, one size fits all. Well, it seems like the, the basic takeaway you can get from that, at least, is that it's, you know, regard like I think you just said it, regardless of what kind of therapy you're doing, it seems just to be the dumping of emotions that's helpful. Well, you know? maybe the dumping of emotions, maybe who you're dumping them to, yeah, stuff like that. But by that same logic, then, if you go to someone and they have a set of tarot cards and you're able to read the right, uh, if you're, you're capable of finding epiphanies in the cards that help you unlock secrets within yourself that you had repressed or whatever, um, that you need to live a better life, then that's totally possible. Yeah. But only because human beings are, our brains are irrational garbage machines that were not designed uh, according to any sort of logical system, but are instead just dumped on us by an uncaring evolutionary system. So I think what this all means, getting back to the beginning of this part of the conversation, is that you should start dating ladies who are into astrology, because regardless of their beliefs, maybe they'll just click with you anyway, and that's what really matters. Well, that's... Actually, that's the... That, whether you're an INFP, am I right? Well, yeah, here's the truth. I find people who are incredibly open-minded about shit like that fucking obnoxious. Oh, they're the pits. <laughs> that's it has nothing to do with the actual beliefs at all. It's the fact that if they're willing to believe in, like, uh, if they're willing to believe in, in uh, fucking magic that easily, they're also come off as incredibly naive in other ways and they're all like you know the universe is talking to me today and just let me tell you you've spent more than five minutes listening to someone talk about how the universe sent them a message you know because their dog had the same name as their personal tr- the new personal trainer that they met so that means that things are really going to work out for them and some part of me just who i am wants to murder that person and the dog and the personal trainer see i think i'm psychic but i believe i'm bad luck psychic where my i when i have intuitions they are real and natural and I should listen to them and yet I discard them. Like yesterday when I was like, man, uh, I haven't been sick probably in like two years. How great is that? I must have a perfect immune system. And then suddenly, dump, 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 dump. Uh, And I think it's because I would rather 
ignore the feelings of my own body because I so badly don't want to believe in intuition that I could just like what's in front of me. Like I could feel myself getting run down and I'm still like, no, 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 no. That's just my crazy brain wanting me to think of something, wanting me to draw connections between different things. Uh, and then I'm, I turn out I should actually just pay attention to my, my filth because it does mean something. Yes. <sighs> also, and this is sort of, this is really the tragic part of it. If anybody would be more excited to find out magic was real than me, I don't know who that person would be. Like, like many- <laughs> What would it take? Because like, if someone were to like, summon a fireball like right in front of you. That would be the fucking raddest thing ever. But, but how much would you be like unwilling to believe it? How far would you go to disprove it before you're like, that was a fucking just magical fireball? Yeah, it would be hard. Um, I would have a hard time. You would have a hard time ever convincing me. And that's sort of how my brain works with it. Yeah. I mean, no amount of, no amount of David Blaine shit will ever get me to believe that there's another world. As someone who's done a lot of therapy, uh, I I took from a guy who I like to call Scott Rock. Scott. uh, Oh my God. Have I forgotten his name? Dr. Scott, the punk rock talk doc. No, I haven't. (laughs) But that uh, you have to adopt the, the, the feeling, not I'll believe it when I see it, but I'll see it when I believe it. And that's what you need to start getting on. You need to believe that fireballs can be summoned from thin air. And then it'll start happening because you know that inherently it's a true and real thing that can happen. You're not going to be so eager to discard the evidence of your eyes just because you don't want it to be true. I'm sure that is actually the case that people who are predisposed to believing something have an easier time finding it. But fireballs, Kyle? I don't know why I'm so focused on the fireballs. Because it's an awesome... It would be pretty dope, right? (laughs) (laughs) It's political push. Yeah. Fireballs, flight, all of that. Although, here's where we get in the dark side again. If magic suddenly turned out to exist in a way that defies all of our understanding of empirical principles, that would mean that the underpinnings of reality were so utterly alien to the scientific method as we had previously laid it out that any magic could be equally true, which means, yes, great, now you live in a world with fireballs, but maybe this is also that world like that one Stephen King novel, spoilers, but I won't tell you which one so you won't know which book I'm spoiling, where at the end it turns out that when you die, you just go to another... Everyone who dies, the afterlife is just them being chased around by ant demons who use them as slaves forever and occasionally eat them alive forever. And it's like, doesn't matter if you're good or you're bad, it's just... Ant demon hell forever afterwards for everyone. And it's like, right now I'm pretty sure that's not true. But if people can suddenly start casting fireballs, no reason ant hell, ant demon hell isn't waiting there for all of us. So suicide would not even save you from the madness that any display of magic should logically fill you with. Could suicide save you from the ant demons? No, that's what I'm saying. Ah! You should be deeply... Anytime you see something that appears to be paranormal, the the sheer fact that you live in an utterly alien and uncanny universe should fill you with infinite horror and dread. Not wonder. I'm glad you went to that weird, specific example, because what I thought your worst concern was going to be was that if any magic could just be as equally viable as any other, that obnoxious, open-minded, psychic people would have to be as credible as anyone else, and I thought you weren't willing to live in that kind of world. (laughs) Well, that would be rough, but I mean, I feel like that would be... There are a lot of people who basically sound that way to me, whether it's actually, like, crystals that they believe in or not. Like, anytime someone's like, you know, well, capitalism will figure everything... I mean, as many people have pointed out, you know, libertarianism is and a belief in a perfect and efficient free market is basically just astrology for white men. <laughs> yeah, white men who often happen to be racist for some reason. I wonder how that works out. Ah, libertarians.
But, oh shit, what the hell was I just thinking? Um, dealing with psychics. Oh, I was thinking that, like, I think maybe another modern thing that seem a, a modern acceptable belief that I think is akin to believing in astrology or Myers-Briggs or anything else like that uh, is is your, your friend who gets suckered into a pyramid scheme. And, yeah. Oh, that is a hard thing to deal with. That's never happened to me, but that would be rough if someone if if someone started pitching me the pyramid scheme that's going to fix their life. I was at a God, this is an old-fashioned sentence. I was at a video store one day and uh, a woman just started like chatting me up and I was like, "Oh, hey, cool. This is fun. I'm just waiting for my ride, so I'll talk with you in the meantime." And she's like, oh, hey, you should really meet my husband. We would like to hang out sometime. I'm like, like, oh, oh God. God, this is weird. <laughs> it's a and thruple. That's what I was leaning towards. And I was so much more hurt when it turned out that they just wanted to sell me onto a pyramid scheme or something like that. And I don't know which will be worse, like to get to their home and have them be like, okay, it's time for sexy times. You weren't ready for this because you're innocent and gullible. Or, okay, it's time for us to have you read all these different marketing materials and have you determine whether or not you're so polite that you'll get sucked into it as well or not. The second one. The second one is way worse than the first one. Yeah, I guess the first one doesn't involve any sort of financial commitment or a betrayal of my beliefs. Yeah. <laughs> like, well, I, it's, I think it's, frankly, it's easier to opt out. More people understand, nah, I'm not really into weird sex stuff than would understand, no, I don't believe that your, uh, that your weird oh. pyramid scheme is going to save me. Man, and now I remember the time a friend fucking lured me into almost getting, like, not almost getting converted, but lured me into a scenario where people were trying to convert me into hardcore Christianity by just telling me that he wanted to come over and have, wanted me to come over to his place and have fried chicken with his family and some of their friends. That was it. I was eager to have a nice, innocent fried chicken dinner and then i saw this giant bus for bibles across america out front and i'm like this is normal right this isn't gonna be a weird night for me at all that's uh uh, i think i just need to stop having friends no one i know can be trusted so i have a similar um the one of the only times uh that a woman has ever randomly approached me and shown interest in me the entire time I have lived in Los Angeles well in my entire life but also the entire time I have lived in Los Angeles and it sucked too cuz it was at a moment I don't remember what was going on but I was definitely feeling sort of down and depressed and then this woman just pops up out of nowhere she's about my age and fairly attractive and she's like hey <laughs> we're in an uh Barnes and Noble so fairly that's just how I talk about things objective okay that's just my don't don't mock me for my inability to put things more subjectively than that. Um, anyway, uh, I lost the thread. I'm sorry. She comes up to me in the Barnes and Noble, and she's like, "Hey, excuse me, you look kind of alone. Are you okay?" I was like, "Why is this person talking to me? They seem very nice. They they're they seem very open. This is what is going on." Long story short, yeah, they were trying to get me to like go to their big Bible prayer meetup thing, and I was like, "Man." That's this is the worst. This is so at this moment where I'm feeling really lost and vulnerable and could really use You really could have used Jesus. <laughs> that person was legitimately trying to help you and you and your puny little closed mind couldn't be open to the love of the Lord. Look at where it got you. You're hanging out in the basement with me talking about the Big Bang theory. Good <laughs> good on you, Kyle. Yeah. You were so judgmental. I was not mean to that person. I was just like Didn't eh. see you were mean. I was just disappointed. I'm sorry, buddy. That's all right. Uh, I don't know if I want to talk about any of this anymore. This well, is this is hurt. basically so. This is I did at the end of this episode. Leonard is like, ah, I is Leonard like sure, Penny. 
since you're the of the two of us, you're the one who is less likely to change their opinions about things, and I still want to have sex with you. Uh, please take me to your psychic, and that brother. is basically, you know, if you were going to be lured, I don't know if it's that. It's like if you were going to be lured into a cult, you know, basically like, well, I met someone who was super attractive, but the only way uh, I could be with them is to sign up for their weird spiritual and religious beliefs i think many a person has fallen for that trap through the years i would be so psyched if someone wanted me to join a cult i'd, I'd be just thrilled if someone were to look at me and be like this is someone who belongs in our weird like maybe even out of just pure gullibility even if they thought i was just a mark and not someone that they really wanted to be inducted into their wonderful family of insular beliefs like oh, i'd love it oh, i just want to be wanted by the group that's all i've ever wanted kyle <sighs> I started to say, I think there are cults that will take people. The Republican Party would love you. Oh, political commentary, you son of a bitch. Well, unless there's anything else that's sticking in you, we should probably start wrapping up. I will say, Uh, I'm just going to tie the two threads of this this conversation together and then we can move on. So you were saying that basically um, sometimes belief precedes uh, perception. Mm-hmm. Um, or Dr. Scott the Rock Jock said that. <laughs> yes. Um, I like that just as well. Um, which, ironically, is also true in the case of romance. So if you if you fundamentally find it impossible to believe that anyone could be sexually attracted to you, you will find yourself shutting the door and leaving a horny woman alone in a room by herself more often than not. Ha- those, ha- are the, those are the two threads. Have I had... Ladies, stay over and be like, I sleep in your bed and it's fine, right? And I'll be like, yeah, and I'll get the floor because I wouldn't want you to be uncomfortable or uh, other uh, situations. This is why whenever I think someone is hitting on me, much like I imagine Sheldon Cooper would do if he were capable of understanding what was happening, I just straight up say, hey, are you hitting on me? Because I am not interested right now, but I want to make it clear that I'm sorry if I have done anything to lead you on. And if you're not hitting on me, I apologize for the presumption. You are a fucking robot. I mean, a good robot. Like a data. You know? <laughs> like, whoops, you've made a mistake. I'm not someone that you should be having sex with. So let's just take a step back and make sure that you're on the right track. This is only a conversation I ever have with men, to be clear, but yes. Oh. That's fine, too. It's like, I apologize. I realize there's a stereotype that that gay men will fuck everything that moves. If I'm just, no, this is part of the script. It's like, if I'm just falling, if I have profiled you in a way that reveals my unspoken prejudices, then I apologize. But just on the off chance that you have caught feelings for me, I would not want to lead you astray any further because despite my incredibly comprehensive knowledge of Broadway musicals and, you know, my love of the color pink, I am unfortunately heterosexual. That is the speech in a nutshell. Yeah, what a bummer. You're really doing everyone a disservice by not being on the gay market and believing that they'll have any any gay man on earth is trying to have sex with you. Ah, such a tragedy. Happens more often than you'd think. Oh, uh, twice at least. Yes. I don't know. All right, on that weird note, let's start wrapping up and getting to our favorite nerd things. Also, hey, we have a website, bbttpodcast.com. We have a Twitter, we have a Facebook. We're on iTunes, radars on iTunes. I should be more excited about these calls to action, but really I'm just more excited that you're here with us in the first place. Hey, thanks for listening, everybody. We appreciate it. Uh, you want to do your nerd thing first or me? You go first. Mine's going to be long. Okay, I'm going to keep mine real short because uh, 
And I don't know, God, stop me if you've done this, but I was going to recommend a game that you recommended to me that I'm now starting to play and I'm pretty bad at. You haven't done it. I haven't. I, I, I don't think I've I don't think you have, but I'm just going to recommend. I did recommend you play it like six months ago, so I'm glad you got around to it. Yeah, uh, but it is a video game for Switch and PC and other systems called The Return of the Obra Dinn. Uh, very short way of describing it is there was this ship, the Obra Dinn. It disappeared. No one knew where. Then one day it showed up littered with dead bodies. <laughs> and you're, are you an insurance adjuster? Is that your role? I think that's right, basically. Yeah, yeah. You're there for um, an insurance company to figure out what happened to each person who was on the ship and either died or disappeared or fell to other mysterious circumstances. And the way you do this is uh, you pull up from alongside the ship a mysterious device that is a a pocket watch that allows you to mysteriously travel back in time to see when and how each of these individuals die. Well, you know, it's a pretty standard insurance adjuster tool. If you I don't know how else they'd figure it out. <laughs> so. um, but the trick is that you're trying to decipher people's specific identities and how they died, but none of it is obvious. Like you have, like aside from a few people who will actually be named out loud because it, the clips you get, I think are, like they would experience and you would experience in real life. If six people are panicking, trying to kill a monster, let's say, for instance, they're not each going to look at each other and say, Hey, Greg Helmsmith, could you please hand me that spear? Like you got it. First mate, Admiral donkey dick or whatever. Like they don't do that. They're just too busy going, Hey, you take this. All right, get it. Come on, go. And then from those like little snippets of information, and where they are on the ship and what their job is at the time, you have to figure out like what position they were, who they were in relation to other people, and you have to make a series of deductions and inferences all until you figure them out. And so far, I suck at it. I feel very overwhelmed by the amount of information I've got, uh, and so I almost want to start over again and go through it more slowly and methodically so I don't end up with a pile of uh, incorrect inferences. But uh, it's a lot of fun. It's just a really interesting story, too. I don't want to get into all of it, though I've already spoiled that there are monsters. Um, and even just figuring out the story is a big part of it, because none of it is given to you chronologically. You have to piece it together, even what happened, not uh, not to mention what happened to each individual person. Uh, it's great. It's a really interesting game. I don't think I'm ever going to beat it, because I'm a dunce. But uh, it's a lot of fun, and I would recommend it. So, oh, The Return of the Obra Dinn. Kyle, your turn. You know, the guy who made that also made Papers, Please. Yeah, which is a game that I would recommend uh, if I didn't just do that, because Papers, Papers, Please is also fantastic. Papers, Please. Oh, I wish I hadn't done that. You sure did, though, didn't you? You said it. I just made it weird. And... You did. You did. Please don't put that in the podcast. I'm kind of the too lazy to edit it out. Kyle, what's your thing? Uh, I hate myself. That's my thing. Um... Oh, I remember now. <clears throat> so, for background, recently um, some press images have been going around. So the CW channel, which at any given time has like eight TV shows that are all based on DC comic book superheroes running at the same time, have announced they're going to do their biggest and most ambitious crossover event yet between the shows, named after one of the biggest cross and most ambitious comic book crossovers ever, Crisis on Infinite Earths. 
So in the process of introducing all of these alternate versions of characters from the shows who will also be in this crossover, there was some uh, stills that they published um, showing Brandon Ruth uh, wearing as an older and slightly, uh, slightly more wizened Superman, and then Kevin Conroy dressed as Bruce Wayne. Um, so that's notable for a couple of reasons. First, Brandon Ruth is just rocking his Superman outfit. And then, uh, and also Kevin Conroy has played Batman, I think, longer than any other human being. But oh, that's what I was going to, he's, he's been the voice actor forever, yes, right? Okay. He has been, he's, Kevin Conroy is the iconic Batman voice actor. For many people, he's just the iconic Batman, but he's never actually played Batman in live action. So this is going to be his first chance to do that. It's pretty awesome fan service. What's also noteworthy, though, is that both of them are wearing, in the way that their outfits look, they're suggestive of the comic book Kingdom Come, which is, as I was looking at it, I, I just realized what I hadn't thought about in a long time, which is Kingdom Come is my favorite graphic novel of all time, So, and I've never recommended it. Um, it is, I think in many ways, as definitive a sort of encapsulation and summation of everything that is great and epic and awesome about the superhero genre as like Lord of the Rings is for the fantasy genre. Um, and sort of very similarly, it's sort of like this epic but very classical, um, you know, story. Um, so there are so many things. So for a quick summary of the plot of Kingdom Come, basically Kingdom Come is set in a very fleshed out, uh, version of the future of the DC universe. Um, not the distant future, but like 10 years in the future. Um, where, and it was written in the early 90s, I think 1994, when the trend in comics was that superhero comics were becoming increasingly dark and gritty and, and pointlessly violent and nihilistic. Um, you know, sort of at the expense of any kind of of any of their heroes sort of representing anything good or wholesome or actually having values. They were just sort of running around shooting things and dismembering people. And so the premise of the comic book is like, what if that trend continued? And so you actually have not the superheroes that you grew up with, but their children and their grandchildren basically grow up to be these incredibly jaded, cynical, nihilistic, uh, you know, sort of Snyderverse, shall we say, uh, superheroes who run amok and human beings either um, can't uh, control them or in many cases don't want to control them because one of the central, the basically the two central themes of Kingdom Come are uh, humanity basically um, has trouble controlling its own destiny when there are literal people with godlike powers running around. But also, you know, sometimes if the bad, if the good guys are running around just blowing up the bad guys and murdering them, that's kind of a fun spectacle. So because that has happened, uh, and some personal, and a personal tragedy involving the death of Lois Lane, Superman has retired. And in the time since his retirement, things have really gone off the rails, culminating in a huge disaster that blows up all, basically all of Kansas. And so he comes out of retirement and assembles a Justice League composed of like all of his old friends, the older generation of superheroes, except for Batman, who's having none of it. And they basically, they go on a quest to, you know, fix the world and treat the young generate, teach the young generation how to, you know, have superheroic values, which you might think sounds really sort of condescending and boring. And you're right, <laughs> because what is eventually revealed about 
in the comic what's so great about it is that the real problem is not that there's a disconnect between the morality of the older generation and the younger generation. What's really wrong is that both generations have forgotten, have basically lost their faith in humanity and have stopped communicating or thinking about how, you know, things, how it feels to be a, a weak and powerless human being. Um and what that's like and and why that is supposed to be what inspires you to keep going and be a hero in the first place. And so all of this stuff is going on in the background. The framing device for the story is actually that this human, uh, the whole thing is basically uh, framed, sorry, backing up a second. So the artwork, one of the things that makes the comic great is that the artwork is by uh, Alex Ross. Oh. All of it. So Alex Ross, if you have never looked up his work, is a uh, comic book artist who was famous for basically painting instead of drawing. He basically he he uh, he paints using real models for all of his um, pictures, basically. So what you have instead is um, is sort of very basically all of the people they all of the instead of looking like cartoon characters all of his people look real yeah like all of the stories it looks like you know superman just looks like a guy standing around in a superman suit made out of cloth fabric and similarly um all of the other characters and so but also he's an incredibly he draws heavily on um like classical artwork and classical portraits and things like that. So the entire comic has the feel of like a, of like Renaissance paintings, you know, in the scenes when Superman and the Justice League are floating in the sky, they literally look like angels descending from heaven. Um, and that's part of the point because the whole thing, uh, uses like the language and the framing of the book of revelation. So the idea is that in this clash between Superman and his attempt to bring, you know, his own personal brand of like perfect righteousness to the world and his children who are completely disinterested in such things and just kind of want to run amok that basically there, the ensuing conflict is going to just kill everyone it's going to lead to a Ragnarok style battle that's going to consume the whole earth. And so the person watching this all unfold is actually a Christian preacher who has been empowered by a godlike entity to sort of judge all of humanity and figure out, well, who's going to inherit the earth, the humans or the superhumans? And, you know, what should be done about all of this? And so, yeah, it's just really epic. And the other thing about the art that's amazing is it not only is it incredibly detailed, but every single character is basically either an aged version or a new version of an of a DC character and their entire the ways they have changed are so perfectly reflected in their costumes you know so like there are like in on every panel there are like 80 different superheroes and all of them are like it's like well what if you know what if robin grew up and started dressing more like batman but he still doesn't have the pointy ears so he's you know a slightly more brightly colored batman style character or you mean like the fixer <laughs> Oh, that yeah. was the character from. Uh, yeah, I know who the yeah. fixer is. All right, I'm sorry. That was that was weirdly dickish of me, you know. And uh, you know, or the Flash. Basically, the Flash has has merged with the Speed Force, so now he's just this flickering entity of light and electricity because he's no longer he, he literally can't exist, like standing still anymore, and he's just like the Mercury helmet that the Golden Age Flash wore. Just pre-existing and nobody's even sure which version. And Green Lantern has merged with his lantern, which he wears like a green suit of armor. Like, it's just every single, every single character is designed with some kind of 
with that kind of thoughtfulness for like what is how do you encapsulate this entire character and like their whole history just in their costume and their look and then um and so yeah when i was like 15 i spent months you know basically once a year i would read that comic and i would just pour over every single panel and every single character to the point where i can still you know remember everybody in that book and how their backstories are supposed to work um and it's just great. It's great because it's simultaneously sort of realist and it's, but it's still hopeful because, um, like I said, I compared it to the, I compared the view of the bad guys to sort of the Snyderverse. And the whole point of those books is like, of those movies is sort of like Zack Snyder saying sort of what Alan Moore said, which is like, look, if superheroes actually had the powers of gods, they would find it so hard to relate to us and our petty concerns and the ways in which like our weaknesses make us, sort of venal and sad and pathetic that eventually they would just give up on us and they would want to do their own thing. And it would be very scary when they finally, you know, gave us all the middle finger and went and did their own thing. And this comic acknowledges that all of that is kind of true, but still leaves room for basically Superman at the end to remember that the part of him that's in that the real, his real moral compass comes not from being Superman, but from being Clark Kent and that he you know, at the end of the day, it's as important to try to hold on to what it means to feel human as it is to just wield godlike power over all of humanity. And it's just amazing. So what are you ultimately recommending for today now that you've gone through? The graphic, the, was it the graphic novel Kingdom Come? Okay, because you started with the CW stuff, and I just wanted oh, to make yeah, sure I mean, you were... I'm going to watch it. Okay. I think, also, I think Brandon Ruth is underappreciated as Superman, and the movie Superman Returns is a lot better than anyone gives it credit for. But... That's neither here nor there. That's a different thing. Kingdom Come. Kingdom Come. Arguably the greatest superhero graphic novel ever written. So that, and then a much more shorter endorsement for Return of the Oberdin. Hooray for another week of nerdiness. We've done it again, Kyle. Yeah, I think we're done. I think we are done, done, diddly done, done. Do you need help figuring out who killed everyone? Uh, yes. Do you want help? No. You don't want help? I okay. will only take it from my own internal sense, That's which fine. is not going to get me anywhere, but I just love beating my head against a wall. That's, you have that right. Thank you.